Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. Today, we're talking about the value of empathetic leadership skills in times of crisis. Joining us on Zoom is Cece Wei, Director of Programs for Open News, which is a community of developers, designers, and journalists working to make journalism more inclusive and equitable. We're going to unpack exactly what that means and how it is relevant at a time when we're still coping with the impact of the coronavirus pandemic, but also, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement. How does all this tie together? Put simply, reporters are having a hard time now, and actually reporters have been having a hard time for a long time. What we're going to dig into today is practical advice on the important role newsroom leaders have to play now and in the long term in managing their teams, offering support and making newsroom staff feel comfortable. For Open News as a community, CC shares a lot of the struggles their members face and what can be done to alleviate some of those issues, both on a day-to-day basis, but also thinking about hiring strategies and filling your newsroom with the right mixture of people. That's all to come. Don't go anywhere. But first, here is something to put into your diary. As well as great editorial content, journalism.co.uk also provides media training for journalists, editors and other media professionals. On the 29th and 30th of September 2020, We've got an advanced podcasting course led by Jack Soper, who works for the BBC and has 20 years of experience as a producer and consultant. For that course and all the other great courses we run, head over to journalism.co.uk forward slash courses. Cece, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. How are you? I'm great. Very happy to be here. How is it working from home at the moment? Uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's funny. It's something that I started a month before COVID hit the States. And so um, I had a little bit of a head start. And now I feel like I'm pretty used to it, to be honest. <laughs> I'm really inspired by the sort of the setup that you've got going at um, Open News, which which we're obviously here to talk about. Um, I, I read it that um, you're working to make journalism more inclusive and equitable. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a great question because we mean so many things. Um, but to really boil it down, right, it covers everything between holistically your literal hiring process to once people are in the door, who gets promotion, is their pay equity? And then it gets also into more qualitative things such as whether people of color or people from other marginalized communities are treated with the same respect and value as their other peers in the newsrooms and trying to sort of help people make everything that I just said and more tackling those things one at a time and helping newsrooms change so that they actually feel like they're newsrooms for everybody um, and not just newsrooms with a dominant culture that other people have to fit into. Hmm. I wonder if I can ask, why isn't that normally the case for uh, for a normal traditional newsroom? By default, we assume that to be true. And um, it's only sort of in recent years that newsrooms as a whole and leadership have started to admit that even though we sort of pretend like that's always been the case, because it would make sense if that was the case. um, But leaders have started to admit that that's just not how it is. And a lot of it, especially since sort of, you know, my focus is on the US, um, but it's applicable to other countries based on their history as well 
but that journalism is not um, special in any way, that this isn't the case, right? Um, all organizations or almost all organizations are this way, especially in America, because of historical discrimination of many, many different groups of people over time. Um, and it becomes really obvious in tangible things like pay studies, right? Every pay study that happens at a major newsroom in the U.S. shows that women are paid significantly less than men, and then that people of color are paid less than um, white men specifically, and then women of color are paid the least out of all of those groups. And um, studies happen once every couple of years, and the results are almost always the same. And that's just one really tangible way that you can sort of feel it. What are you doing that other people aren't doing? What's interesting about us is that we're not a newsroom, right? We're an organization who exists to help build community for journalists um, and for people who are journalists with technologist uh, skills or backgrounds. And one way that I think we've really approached this is through a lot of great foundational work with the community. Um, and so one of the latest things that we launched a couple weeks ago is that I'm starting a DEI coalition, um, DEI standing for diversity, equity, inclusion, to really help create sort of anti-racist newsrooms and not just inclusive newsrooms, to go sort of a step further and the goal there is one, this is sort of part of our style too, is that we're going to create these community spaces for people who are working for those things, whether they're on a diversity committee, whether they're part of a union and they're doing contract negotiations, or whether they're in an employee resource group, right, dedicated to helping educate their peers. We want people to be able to come together and share information about things that work, right, things that are really helpful to do in your newsroom that you can learn from other people, which is information that we don't have easy access to because you don't know who's doing it in another newsroom. You don't know how to get that information. Sometimes it's um, something that people aren't willing to share publicly, but are happy to share with other journalists who are trying to do the same things. So I'm essentially trying to build a space for people to come together and to be able to share their knowledge, but also to support each other. Because oftentimes it's very lonely work and you feel, um, you can feel sort of ups and downs, right? Victories, but then uh, it can hit you really hard when something doesn't work. Or, you know, if people in your newsroom respond in a way that um, feels very targeted and hurtful towards you, sort of having a place to bounce back and to get support and to get solidarity. Because I guess without that network, for, for so long people have felt isolated and the problem is just their, their own to deal with, I guess. Yeah, I did a lot of interviews earlier this year trying to figure out, like, is there something valuable to be done here? And um, I talked to a lot of folks and the things that I heard the most was just, I wish someone else who had done this could have given me some sort of template so that I didn't have to start from scratch. And a lot of people have done the same thing and they essentially reinvented the wheel themselves every time. Um, and so being able to create a space where people can readily share what they've done, I think will be really, really helpful. Mm. Get them on the fast track, not just breaking into the industry, but climbing up it. Yeah. So what drives you to do this? What are your experiences in journalism or newsrooms that have, that have put you on this path and tried to shape other journalists and help them have this impact in the industry? Yeah, it's definitely been a journey. Um, you know, I've been in journalism for 
almost 10 years, I think, um, if we don't count my time in school. And at the very beginning, I didn't really care about this at all, right? Um, at the very beginning, all I really cared about was what kind of job do I want? Like, how do I fit into journalism? Um, and what is exciting to me? And I really just focused on that. And it wasn't until maybe, let's say two to three years into my career in journalism, where I started to realize like, oh, you know, like in addition to my work, when I look around my newsroom, there aren't a lot of people who look like me. Um, and most days, uh, nothing happened that would bother me. But then on some other days, something might happen, like people would assume that I'm not a citizen of this country, or people might assume that, you know, because I look Asian, that I might speak certain languages, or that they'll ask me a question as if I could speak on behalf of all Asian people, right? And, uh, but these were pretty sparse, right, at that time in my life. And so it's not something I thought a lot about. But then as I sort of became more aware of these types of things happening to me, I'm part of um, AAJA, which is the Asian American Journalism Association. As I talked to other folks about their experiences, which ended up being a lot worse than mine and a lot more frequent. Um, but then, you know, realizing, hey, like there are a lot of really easy, tangible things you can do at the beginning to help sort of an organization realize how big of a problem do they have? How can they get better? And so one of the first things we did was when I was at ProPublica, um, a colleague and a really good friend of mine, Lena Groger, she and I just created a diversity census where we asked everybody in the newsroom to self-identify um, based on race and ethnicity. And uh, almost everybody in the newsroom responded to it. Once we had the data, we knew how do we need to change our hiring efforts. When you are hiring and you're trying to figure out what kind of problem do I have, you can also see at every stage, like how many people applied for a job, period, what is the racial and ethnic breakdown there? Then, once you say select the people that you're going to interview, what is the racial and ethnic breakdown then? And then finally, when you get to your final selection, keeping track of this breakdown throughout, and you'll be able to notice like, is it just that for some reason, um, people of color are not willing to even apply for our jobs and therefore going forward, there's really no shot, right? Um, or are there actually just a ton of people of color who are applying for the job, but for some reason, none of them make it to the interview stage? And is that because none of them are qualified? Or is that because of something else that's happening in our internal hiring process as we sort of filter people down? Uh, it's a very classic response. People like saying, you know, the reason why my newsroom isn't very diverse is because there's a pipeline problem. People of color just aren't qualified to be journalists. Um, and uh, that's just not true anymore. And so then the question is, why do some other organizations seem to be doing a great job hiring people of color who are then doing a great job once they're there? And like, why at any part of their career were they not part of your applicant pools? The more work that I've done in this, the more I've realized it's, it's really about, you know, are you writing your job postings in a way that make people feel like it's actually friendly to anybody? Or, especially during the interview phase, this happens a lot, which is people feel comfortable with someone. And that level of comfort and culture fit is usually what it's called in the U.S., and those types of connections really help people get through the interview process. But if you're thinking about diversity and adding people who are different from you, you actually don't have those things. 
And therefore, people sometimes feel less comfortable or uncomfortable, and then those people don't move forward. You can design a process that doesn't rely on those things. Those things don't matter because they shouldn't matter. If we grew up in the same town or went to the same school, it's about are your clips good? Is your portfolio good? How great are you at interviewing people? When you shift the focus on purpose to only evaluate those things, it changes who gets through the interview process. Mm. And I suppose if you don't have diversity and leadership, you don't realize these things either. Yeah. I think the other thing is like there are good leaders who even if they if there isn't diversity among them if they understand that they need to educate themselves about this they can also correct for that um with really tangible easy steps of course there's the huge context over the last few months of the racial injustice process over the in in the u.s and around the world of course as well what's kind of your advice on for leaders understanding that context and acknowledging the difficulty staff members are facing? So I have, um, I would say there's really two core pieces of advice that I would give to leaders who find themselves in this situation. So um, the first one is that you absolutely need to, um, whether it's begin the process or continue the process of educating yourself. And I've done a lot of that work myself even, right? Like I am a uh, Asian American, um, but it doesn't mean that I know enough about what it's like to be a black American, right? And I don't, I don't face the same um, types of discrimination that black Americans do, even if I face different types of discrimination and understanding that across different um, marginalized groups is just as important, right? And so that is number one. It'll just give you an easier way of thinking through things, an easier way of talking through things, but also it might allow you to understand what your staff is going through a lot more quickly. Um, so that's a great foundation. But the number two is communication. This is probably the thing that I advise to leaders the most and something that I found when I was um, an assistant managing editor at a newsroom to be sort of my most, um, my most important tool that uh, is easily underestimated. So leaders, right, always have a lot of information. They don't have all the information, but they have a lot of information, especially around huge decisions that you make as a company. And when things like this happen, uh, whether it's COVID or the racial injustice protests, what happens is that the staff is looking to their leaders to answer some key questions like, how much do you care about this? Because it's really important to me, right? Um, and what are your values, right? Is it acceptable to you that this is happening? And what I have found in my personal experience is that most of the time, leaders and staff can actually share the same opinion, but leaders just don't tell them that. They don't, they keep it to themselves. Um, and instead of uh, communicating with their staff and saying like, hey, we see what's going on. We agree that uh, racial injustice is not okay. We don't want that here at our company either. We want to make sure that, you know, pick any system, right? Whether it's pay equity, whether or not the newsroom actually feels inclusive for you. Like we are going to do the work to make sure that you feel valued um, and respected here, right? And a lot of leaders I find will want to do those things, will even take steps to do those things, but not tell the staff that they're doing it. Um, and I think it's like a, it's a huge missed opportunity because people will continue to feel 
unheard and unvalued if they don't know you're working on it, right? And so there's this huge time period where you're trying to accomplish something, but everyone's feeling like, why are you doing nothing? Communicating often and clearly and concisely, I think is probably the biggest tool that leaders have that they they don't use enough. So be visible about the steps you're taking to address the problem. Yeah. And it's okay if you don't have the answers, tell people that, right? Like I think people are often scared to communicate because they're scared of saying the wrong thing or because they don't have enough steps to their plan ready. I think that that doesn't matter as long as you're telling people I'm making the plan and I will tell you as soon as I have one, right? Or just saying I care about this and I'm going to spend the next two days trying to figure out what we should do. That You could say just that and people would feel better than if you said nothing and waited those two days before you announced what your plan was. Why would you keep that to yourself? It sounds like something you would want to celebrate and be vocal and, and show that you're supporting. Why would you not want to do that? Yeah, I. it's a good question. Um, I don't necessarily know the answer. Um, mm. My guesses are that oftentimes, you know... Um, if you're running a newsroom, there's a lot going on, right? Um, Pressures, right, yeah. Right. Uh, and also, like, you know, in addition to this, you have a million other things you're trying to address. And so mm. you're trying to make decisions fast. But the part about communicating your decisions, you delay, right? Because from your perspective, it is important to make the decision, right? That needs to happen. Um, but I think it's just sort of, you know, the extra five to ten minutes that it would take to then communicate your decision. Or even just... Um, how you're feeling, I think, actually helps the staff a lot more than uh, you would naturally think in that position versus the staff is just waiting to hear from you. Like, mm. they're literally just waiting. They're like, why haven't we gotten an email yet? Mm. Can we drill into a couple of, like, details in terms of things that could be uh, addressed and sort of taking some lessons from um, kind of like your inclusive journalism philosophy, as it were? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So there's a really good example of this um, because right when COVID was hitting the U.S. really hard, companies were changing a lot suddenly. So people are going remote. They're trying to figure out what happens if you don't have the equipment because it was all in the office, but now we can't travel to the office. Um, but then also, you know, what is expected of people because suddenly, you know, there's no childcare. Families have to deal with being with their children all day while trying to work as well. One of the things that we recommended back then was that um, you need to email your newsroom almost ASAP um, and you need to communicate a certain number of things to help your staff understand your expectations. So organizations should say whatever makes sense for them. The general recommendations we had is that we want you to say something to your staff that's like, we understand that working today is not the same as working last week anymore. And that we're all trying to figure that out. And so if that means, you know, you suddenly need to take care of your kids for an hour, just tell your editor, but we understand and we're just, we're going to figure it out as we go. So basically what that accomplishes is it makes sure that your staff isn't going through a crisis and feeling guilty that they have to do pretty much essential things for their family while they're working. Because that's not helpful for anybody. The other types of things that we were talking about as well in terms of what we were recommending is like, if you need support, like, is that is it something you can talk about at work? Is it a benefit that your existing set of benefits at work can already provide? The other thing that was happening right away at COVID, which ties into the racial justice stuff later, but at the very beginning is that Asian Americans were just 
in the U.S. at least, um, getting a lot of very overt discrimination during COVID um, at the beginning. And uh, things that the Asian American community, I wouldn't say has never faced in the past, but not so concentrated and so frequent. People shouting at Asians that like they need to go back to their own country, even if they were born in the U.S., or um, assuming that they have COVID just because they're Asian, um, or blaming them for having COVID just because they're Asian, right? So there's a lot of stuff going on. And so we were also telling newsroom leaders that you should really acknowledge that this is happening and that if you have Asian Americans on staff, that they may be going through this, you know, on a daily basis, going to the grocery store, right? And uh, you want to acknowledge that that's happening and that if they actually experience um, some sort of harassment, maybe you encourage them that you can either work or you can take some time off to deal with the fact that that just happened to you Um, and that the company is understanding that things are different but then also you're gonna make sure that none of your colleagues in the newsroom will ever say anything like that to their Asian colleagues, right? The key is that people wanna know, one, leadership is thinking about the same issues that I'm thinking about, and this is what their take on it is, right? Um, and they're being communicative about it. Being actively addressing it, it sounds like silence doesn't solve anything, if I was to boil that down. Um, does it also sort of creep into understanding if their their performance is not where it used to be and affecting their work and affecting their contribution to meetings and things like this how far does it kind of seep into i think especially during a huge transition understanding and communicating that it's okay with us right that as we figure it out you know we don't expect you to be as productive as you were when times were not like this in Pre-COVID times, I think it was pretty well assumed that an efficient way to get something done was to host a meeting, right? And um, there's like a whole separate world in which meetings were critiqued and called not effective and et cetera, et cetera. Let's just pretend like generally you were a company in which meetings were pretty effective at making a decision, right? But now the problem is not everybody can come to the meeting at the same time anymore because of what's going on at home, right? So then the question is, okay, if the assumption is that we just can't all be in the same place at the same time, could we just figure out a different way to make decisions efficiently, right? Um, Whether that's like, you know, we send out whatever information we would have communicated at the meeting to people at the beginning of the day, we tell them review this sometime in the next five hours and like respond with your comments and we'll make a decision, you know, two hours later or something like that. There are like different ways once you realize that the foundational assumptions are different, we can just come up with different ways of accomplishing the same thing um, because we no longer just uh, require that everybody be in the same room at the same time. Uh, If I could sort of press you for kind of a a key takeaway for editors listening to this podcast, be that in a virtual or a physical newsroom, what would it be? Yeah, um, I've been thinking about this a lot too because I've talked so much about communication. And I think that actually my key takeaway that I would love for leaders to practice um, is something called radical empathy with your staff. When you're in a moment of stress because something large is happening at your company or in the world, right, that's affecting your staff, put yourself in the shoes of just a regular person who works at your company. Um, And what I really mean by that too is not pretend like you are yourself, but you happen to have that job, right? Don't do that. 
pretend like you are actually this other person who has a different family, had a different career path, who maybe just started at your organization or started two years ago. How could they be feeling right now and what would actually be helpful for them? And trust that that perspective, right, is going to be definitely different from yours because you have way more access to information. You probably have a lot more wealth because you have like a leadership job that probably pays better. Um, But trust that their perspective is also valuable. And also there's a lot of people on your staff who might feel that way. And then see like, you know, what could I do to help this person feel better and to be able to do their job better, right, during this time. And oftentimes it's not about money, right? It's not about giving them money, um, but rather it's about things like communication and values. And the other note that I'll have for people is that especially in a power dynamic where, you know, journalism is very vertical, right? Like people have a manager, they have a manager, they have another manager, it's very vertical. And this idea of radical empathy, right? is something that I'm willing to bet that people, the closer they are to the bottom of this management ladder, the more often they are required to practice it for their bosses because they need their bosses to listen to them, right? And so they're constantly thinking like, what does my boss need right now? Why is he worried? Um, Why is it so important to him that I suddenly shift to this story, right? And they have to try to figure this stuff out. Um, And I guarantee that in order to sort of for them to feel like they're being respectful and um, that they're having a conversation that is safe and not dangerous to them getting fired, that they're constantly trying to put themselves in their manager's shoes. And so practicing it in the reverse, I think, helps people communicate better with each other and then work through a lot of problems together more easily. I love that idea of sort of two-way empathy because it's it's easy to sort of see it as a, as a one-way, one-way street, but it both ways. I, I literally could be here all day with you talking about this. Cece, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you very much for all your time. Thank you so much for having me. Lots and lots of great insights there from Cece and loads for me to go away and think about. I think back to what Cece said at the start, which is that a newsroom that is equitable and inclusive is one that receives diverse applications, can get those reporters through the door, And crucially, once they're there, makes them feel welcome and comfortable. And as we all figure out this crisis situation we're all in, that last part is especially important. And I love how this idea of radical empathy is involved. To really, truly imagine what it'd be like to be in someone else's position. How would I cope with that dynamic? What support would I really need if I was in that situation? While we've talked a lot about leadership today, nothing is stopping us from making this applicable at all levels of our newsroom. Seek that information out and be vocal about trying to find a solution. If you like what you heard, you can find all our other episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. And if you'd like to feature on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me an email at jacob at journalism.co.uk. That's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Until next time.